Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When was the last time you went to an airport? It's a whole thing, right? You have to go there two to three hours earlier, make your way through immigration, you have to go through security. And the thing is, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world because we all know what kind of consequences there are if bad people can bring dangerous things on planes, right? And I think in general, we don't really expect anything too weird or dramatic to happen on a flight. The worst thing, <laughs> the worst thing that happened to me on a recent flight was when I was flying back from Melbourne like two weeks ago on a Jetstar flight. Okay, so Jetstar is surprisingly nice for a budget airline. But do you know that for the flights from Melbourne, they have a screen and you can like buy movies. And if you're like me and you're trying to save money because you're cheap, the best thing is that they have a USB port to charge your phone for free. You don't have to pay to charge your phone. Isn't that great? Anyway, I digress. The worst thing that happened to me on the flight back was there was a baby. Okay, like not a baby, like a toddler. Like he was pretty big, like he could walk, he could, he could talk, alright? And he was throwing a massive tantrum the whole trip. Like he wasn't crying, okay? Like he wasn't uncomfortable and crying. He was throwing a screaming tantrum. And I felt kind of bad for the parents, but noise-canceling earphones. Also, this was my first time to Melbourne, and Melbourne is very nice, and in my completely unqualified opinion, has the best coffee, even better than Sydney. Alright, moving on. Planes, flights, what's the worst thing that can happen? Hijackings. Now, the reason why there's a need for this kind of security and what some people consider security theatre is because there used to be a ton of plane hijackings. Now, it's always a bad idea. It's always a bad idea to hijack a plane. But it was a bit more common back then. So people used to hijack planes, divert the plane to wherever they wanted to go, demand money or whatever else, like, you know, political demands. And it was pretty, not pretty common, but common enough for a plane to get hijacked and for the hijackers to demand to be flown to Cuba for, you know, like, communist reasons, all right? And so hijackings were considered, quote-unquote, so common that between May 1961 and the end of 1972, there were 159 hijackings 
in the American airspace. And between 1968 all the way to 1972, there were 130 hijackings alone. And there was a time where it was like the data reported that it was like one hijacking a week, which honestly I was like, hmm, I want to go on vacation, but I also don't really want to risk being the hijacking of that week. Now, because of all these hijackings. American airports and airports around the world they started installing security scanners around 1973, and at first airlines were a bit concerned, right? Would people still want to buy tickets if they had to go through airport security? But honestly, I think that everyone was so tired of worrying about the potential of being hijacked that. In the end, it wasn't too big a deal, and almost like kind of welcomed. And like, if I was traveling at that time, I really rather go to an airport with scanners and securities than <laughs> risking hijacked. Yes, let me know if you would rather not have this and also have a maybe one in seven chance of being hijacked. But even after security was implemented, hijacking still continued for some time, and I think that the most famous case in Singapore was Flight SQ one one seven in nineteen ninety one, and I think we'll probably end up covering that episode eventually another day. But today we are covering another case. Hi. I'm Teddy, and welcome to a briefcase. Today, we're covering the case of Nirja Banot. She was an Indian hero who helped to save countless lives during the hijacking of Pan Am Flight 73. We are going to start all the way in her childhood. And very objectively, I think one thing a lot of people can agree on is that Nirja came from a loving home, and she had so many people who loved her and cared for her. She was born on seventh September, nineteen sixty-three, in Chandigarh, India. So her family moved to Bombay, also now called Mumbai, but we'll stick to Bombay. This is where she spent most of her childhood. Her parents were Harish and Rama, and her dad Harish, he was a journalist. She had two brothers, Akhil and Anish, but she was the only girl. Now, when they lived in Chandigarh, she went to Sacred Heart Senior Secondary School, but when they were in Bombay, she went to Bombay Scottish School. And like I was like, Bombay Scottish School is a top ten school. In India, and after that, she graduated from Saint Xavier's College in Mumbai,、um, in Bombay, which is another excellent school. And you know, like how some people have everything, like good personality, smart, beautiful. That's basically her. Okay, we don't exactly know when she started modeling, but around her late teens, she was scouted in Bombay, and she ended up getting a lot of work. Because of how beautiful she was, and honestly, she sounds like a very nice person and like a really nice person to work with. So she didn't just like model on one medium; she was on print ads, she was on TV ads.、Um, I think, if I'm not wrong, it's mentioned that she did walk in fashion shows, and she had like basically a very solid modeling career in India, and all was going pretty well. 
until March 1985. Now, this was a different time, and I want to be very explicit about it. And the thing is, arranged marriages back then were a lot more common. And honestly, I think then and now, maybe, a lot of people find happiness in their arranged marriages. And I mean, I guess they still kind of happen today. Look at Indian matchmaking. But we can't really be sure if there was that option of walking away if you didn't like the person back then. Alright, so here's how it went. One day, Nirja's dad was on the way to work and he was reading through the Hindustan Times. And back then, there wasn't like Dinder or Bumble or Hinge. There were ads like personal ads like beautiful podcaster with excellent voice and even better face looking for fabulously wealthy sugar sponsor if interested please drop a dm at a briefcase podcast on instagram and so harish he's looking through these ads right because i think maybe sometimes you're a bit capable so you just kind of want to see what's there and right i think back then people got married around 20 and to be unmarried at 30 was considered very old. So he sees this ad and oh wow, it's a marine engineer. And so he responds, he calls in. And the dude, his mom and his sister visit the Bernard home. And even though the Bernards are comfortable, they were very middle class. They were solidly middle class. And one thing that they didn't believe in is dowry. And let's be honest, dowry in South Asia has always and will always be a controversial topic. Anyway, the Bernard family, they make it very, very clear. They're very explicit. They aren't like fiffy, faffy. They don't waffle about it. They're like, we don't do dowry. And the family, the guy's family is like, oh, we don't mind that. We just want the marriage to come from a good place. And again, even though the family was solidly middle class, her dad put in the effort and raised money and held the wedding at a very fancy hotel, the welcome group C-Rock. And the thing is that Nirja's friends, they were all a bit shook. They were like, babe, why are you doing this? She was smart, she was beautiful, she had things to do and achieve. And not saying you can't achieve these things while being married, but back then, there was a lot of obligation for women to be wives, housewives, homemakers. And that makes achieving a career, especially in modeling or even a corporate career, a lot harder. It's also sometimes mentioned, and this is really just opinion, that she did it because she loved her dad and she could feel like that this is something that her dad wanted. Alright, so the they get married and the new couple, Nurja and her husband, they end up moving to the Gulf. I'm not sure where exactly, though some sources say Dubai. And when she was there, her piece of shit husband became emotionally abusive. And there were a lot of things, okay? He complained, he whined, and he was like, why didn't you have a dowry? Even a poor man would give his daughter something. And he would be like, if you want anything, bring it from your mother's house. What do you think about yourself? So on top of that, okay, he also whined about her cooking. He whined about her weight. He would be like, well, if you can't cook, then stop eating. And he would say things like, where does the food in this house go? So about two months into this, Nudra has to go back to Bombay because she has a contract, a modeling contract she has to fulfill. 
because she is a beautiful model. And when she came back, her family was shocked because she was already pretty slim, right? But she lost another five kilograms, which is around ten pounds, which is a lot when you're very skinny. And when she was back there, he had the audacity to send a letter. And in this letter, he had demands, and he said things like, "I do not like people who do not listen to me. I am very strict. You have to take care of the house. You have to be quiet, soft-spoken, well-behaved. You cannot be a model. You can only be a secretary or computer programmer. And honestly, I rather you be a programmer. You have to forget about your family. You should live a life." With my family demands, and if you're not happy with this, we will separate. Are you tired of true crime? Do you want a happy ending for a change? There's this new podcast that I've been listening to. It's called How I Met You, an Asian podcast about love. And every Monday, they release episodes where couples share how they meet, their biggest arguments, and their less than perfect proposals, just like this snippet. So if you look at like his Instagram, right, and you just scroll down, all of his posts are him at raves and then like doing nonsense. And I know I wasn't the kind of person like. I want to believe I'm fun, but I'm not like whoa, you know. And that—that's the kind of life that he used to lead. So then I'm just like, this is probably not for you. And maybe you feel like you like me now, but in a while you're gonna realize it's not the life you want. You want a more exciting life. Are you in this relationship just cause you want a boring life? Like you're done living that part of excitement. Yeah. Am I like the boring, stable option because that's not what I'm seeking? If you want to check them out, link to their podcast is in the description. He also insults her, and he's like, "You are just a graduate," which is a bit like I don't understand. It's great that she's a graduate. He's just trash, okay? And so, of course, she, since she's back in Bombay, the Bernard family sits down and they're like, "Da, obvious," and so they get divorced. So what's next? She's. Beautiful. She's well educated, and coincidentally, at that time, Pan Am Airlines they decided to have an all Indian crew for the flight from Frankfurt to India, and about ten thousand people apply, and eighty were chosen. And Nirja, she was one of the eighty. She goes to Miami, Florida, to train as a flight attendant as a cabin crew. And by the time she graduated, she wasn't just a flight attendant; she was a purser, which, according to Wikipedia, is a chief flight attendant who oversees all the other attendants and does the reports and makes sure that all the safety procedures are followed. So she's management. Whew. And at this time, it's about nineteen eighty-five, nineteen eighty-six, and she's about twenty-two or twenty-three. And this brings us to the incident on Pan Am Flight Seventy Three. That there's a lot more nuance to this, but to sum it up, at that time Palestine was pretty messy. I mean, it still is, and there was this terrorist organization, Abu Nidal, and this organization it was known to be backed by Libya. They were targeting. America and American assets. Now, the reason that they were trying to hijack this plane, this seven four seven, 
is because they wanted to fly to Cyprus to free Palestinian prisoners there. Now let's also talk about Pan Am Flight 73. So this was a flight that would start in Bombay. So it was flying from Bombay, stopping in Karachi. Karachi is the largest city in Pakistan. Okay, and then from Karachi, it's supposed to fly to Frankfurt, stop again in Frankfurt, and then finally hit to America. So on this flight, Nirja was working as a senior flight purser, and the plane had 380 passengers and 13 crew members. So the plane lands early in the morning, roughly like 5am, 6am. It's a red-eye flight, and right when everything is getting sorted, two hijackers in uniforms. They were dressed like the Pakistani airport security force, which is how they got through. They drive up to the plane in a van with sirens, flashing lights. They were firing shots in the air. This was a hostage situation, and they wanted to be as threatening as possible. And then it wasn't just the two of them, there was another two hijackers. One was in a Pakistani traditional outfit of tunic and pants and this guy he had a briefcase full of grenades which is the wrong kind of briefcase to have they kill two kuwait airline staff and nirja she manages to alert the cockpit crew which is the pilot the co-pilot and the flight engineer and three of them they were able to escape through an overhead hatch in the plane's cockpit. And this is important because it means that the terrorists, they would not be able to leave and they couldn't just get in the plane and fly the plane themselves, you know, it's a bit harder than that. So the terrorists, the four of them, they managed to get into the plane. And I think if I'm not wrong, within 40 minutes of the plane landing, at around 6am, they have control. And so while they're in the plane, they're like, mm, we're going to do some reshuffling. So first and business class passengers, they were sent to the back of the plane and passengers from the back were brought around to the front. And I think it wasn't that they, they exchanged places, they were brought more off together. So everybody was stuffed in one area. And because there were so many of them, they were stuffed in the aisles, the galleys, the exits. And so the lead hijacker, who we won't even bother naming, he realizes, oh shit, there's no pilots. So now they have to negotiate. At around 10 a.m., he goes through the plane and he finds a Kenyan-born Indian realtor, Rajesh Kumar. And Rajesh was 29 and he was just recently naturalized as an American citizen. And the terrorist, he brings Rajesh with him to the door and he demands a crew. He demands a flight crew in 30 minutes. He's like, if you don't give me a flight crew in 30 minutes, I'm going to kill this guy. But then he gets antsy. He gets very impatient and he shoots Rajesh anyway. He shoots him in the head and throws him onto the ramp below. Now, Rajesh was still breathing, but he ends up dying on the way to the hospital. The next thing that the terrorists did was to ask the flight attendants, including Nirja, who was the most senior there, to start collecting passports. He's like, start collecting passports. And you know they were targeting Americans. So these attendants, which also included two other brave attendants, Sunshine Visuala and Madhvi 
Bahuguna, they collect the passports and then they're like, oh shit, they're going to target the Americans, right? So they hide the American passports, they hit them under the seats and they just dump the rest of the American passports down the chutes. Okay, so, but they still pass the rest of the passports to the terrorists because, you know, you have to give them something. Now, they had the passports and the terrorist take one, takes one out and calls for Michael John Thaxton, who was just trying to go home after his holiday in Pakistan. So Michael was 27, and he was a teacher and accounting professor. He was supposed to get off in Frankfurt and then take another flight to London. And they take Michael, and they threaten to shoot him if any officials, anyone at all, came through to the plane. And luckily, nothing happened to him. And so the stalemate went on, and it was very tense. If I'm not wrong, this goes on for about 17 hours until 9pm. At around 9 in the evening, the auxiliary power unit shuts down. This causes all the lights in the plane to go off. And this causes the terrorists to freak out because they think somebody's attacking them. Alright, it's speculated that they thought that the Pakistani special forces were coming for them. And one of the hijackers, he tries to shoot at another hijacker by the door to create a murder-suicide explosion. And if this was successful, it would have killed everyone. But he missed. But he didn't miss completely. This still caused a small explosion. At that time, they also start shooting at passengers. Nurja manages to open the emergency door of the plane. And so she could have actually just jumped out. She could have ran to safety first, but she isn't the type, right? Instead, she goes back and starts helping passengers get off the plane through the gunfire and chaos. And while Nurja was trying to help three children, she's killed. And it's debated how this happened, but either way, she was trying to protect children. Alright, there's a couple of different accounts from different sources. And according to some sources, one of the terrorists, he grabs her by her hair and he shoots her. And this was a kind of retaliation for protecting the kids and for trying to get people off the plane. And in these sources, people have described this as an execution. In other sources, she dies while shielding the children from bullets. But in all cases, it's agreed that she died protecting people and that she died a hero. Alright, so we know some passengers managed to escape and of course soon the terrorists, they ran out of ammunition. The Pakistani army's special services group, they stormed the plane and they arrest the hijackers terrorists. The hijackers slash terrorists. And with that, after about 17 hours, that was the end of Pan Am Flight 73. While she died on the plane for her bravery, Nirja was awarded the Ashoka Chakra in 1987. This is the highest peacetime military award in India. That same year, she also received the Tamga-e-Pakistan. So this is the highest civilian award in Pakistan and she received it for human kindness, which I think we can all agree that she deserves. She also received the American Flight Safety Foundation Heroism Award in 1987, the 2005 Justice for Crimes Award, the 2006 Special Courage Award, the 2011 Civil Aviation Award, and the Bharat Gurav Award in the UK in 2016. I really enjoyed doing this case. I thought it was great. 
I thought it would be really nice to highlight somebody who who lived their life well and somebody who was really inspiring. And I am so sorry if my voice is kind of scratchy. Last weekend, um, Teddy and friends went out a little bit late and maybe shouted a little bit too much and I don't know if you follow the Instagram uh, Milo Track Dreams so funny just saying how people should end clubbing at like midnight and be well rested I have no idea how like young people and teenagers and my wonderful listeners can party until like five yeah so Honestly, I feel a bit like Ted Mosby in How I Met Your Mother. Like, don't stay out after 2.30. 2.30 is a great time to be in bed, clean, well-rested. Mm. If you like this case as well, share it with your friends. Give us a 5-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. It really helps the show and it makes me hella happy. You can drop me a DM on Instagram at a briefcase podcast if you have any recommendations. And as always, find me online at a briefcasepodcast.com. And do join us next week for another briefcase. <laughs>